You're listening to the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. I'm Dwayne McCurry, your host, and today I'm being joined by Rob Timms. Rob, thank you for being with us this week. Thank you for having me, sir. We are looking at session 11, which is an examination of 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 7 through 20. In the verses right prior to this, verses 1 through 6, we find Samaria, which is the capital of the northern kingdom, falling. And so Israel is being led off into captivity. That northern half, the larger portion, really, of, of Israel uh, is being led away as captives. Uh, and now, in verses 7 through 20, we get an explanation on why. Uh, and so that's a key part of what we're looking at here is not just that they got captured, that they got conquered, but why that happened. And so we've got three main points in this in this study, warned, rejected, and removed. Warned looks at verses 7 through 13. In these verses, we find that the people of Israel sinned against God by worshiping the gods and idols of the people who had lived in the promised land and in the neighboring areas. God warned both Israel and Judah through prophets and seers who challenged the people to turn to God and follow him. Main point for us is that God calls people to repent and turn to him. The second section, rejected, looks at verses 14 through 17. In these verses, the people did not listen to the messenger sent by God, rejecting and abandoning God altogether. Instead of being devoted to God, they devoted themselves to evil. A key point for us here is that rejecting God leads to greater folly and evil. The last point, verses 18 through 20, we've entitled that removed. In these verses, the people of Israel angered God, so he removed them, leaving only the tribe of Judah in the promised land. The people of Judah also did not keep God's commands, following the lead of Israel. All the descendants of Israel eventually experienced God's punishment for their sins, spending some time in exile. Key point for us is that judgment awaits those who reject God. So this synopsis tells us what's been going on 400 years in the life of Israel. And so let's look at this, this first idea. They're reviewing the history. Uh, Rob, why is it important for us to review the past? And then where's the balance between living in the past and learning from it. Yeah, there, there are definitely aspects of my past that I I need to remember, but I don't need to live there. <laughs> that's, uh, for, that's for sure. Right. So, but if I'm like, I'm looking at the whole passage of second Kings 17, um, you have this underlayer of remembering and reviewing the ways in which the Lord has worked on behalf of the people. Like it's implied and uh, but when you get right down to verse 36 in the broader passage, you have this really you have it explicitly stated, right? Fear the Lord who brought here's the phrase who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and an outstretched arm. So you're right. There's this there's a direct relationship between a, a reverence and a fear of the Lord and reviewing what he's done in the past on our behalf. So that, that, that's the relationship. In other words, if we invest in remembering, we'll get a return of obedience. 
So we definitely want to we definitely want to remember we want to remember who God is. We want to remember what what He has done on our behalf, and the balance lies there. That what we're remembering is God. What we're remembering is is His character. What we're remembering is are His acts on our behalf. We're not remembering how obedient we were or how disobedient we were. We're remembering how faithful God is, how holy God is, how forgiving God is, how loving God is, how powerful God is, and how all those traits of of Him manifested themselves in our in our redemption, right? And so, if I'm Israel, looking at this text, um, if we're Israel, we're looking back at the great act of redemption in the Exodus. And now that where we are as Christians on the line of redemptive history, we're looking back at the cross, <laughs> right? Yeah. So the balance lies in we're remembering who God is and what he's done, not our, uh, our ineptitude and sin so much, as much as his greatness and his love for, for us. Yeah, I keep a journal, and that journal uh, is important to me because I'll go back and read it every once in a while to remind myself of how God has worked in my life in the past. Yeah, that keeps me out of the dump sometimes, but it also keeps me out of trouble. Because then I can I can remember that that God has worked and I should keep that in mind. I should live in that reality. It also helps me see markers. I can see following that. I can see how God is moving me in a direction. I may not have seen it then, but I can see how that impacted what I'm what I'm doing and where I am now. And you can see that here in this passage, how what they had done in the past impacted where they were and what was happening in their lives at that point in their history yes which brings me to this question how could they have missed it why did they not see this coming and so i'm, I'm going to try and stick stick to what i see in the in the text here okay um so i think there are two or three answers to that that question if, if i'm looking at the text what i see is the people forming um I, i'm going to use the phrase habitual affection the, the people formed a habitual affection for all the idols around them. Um, if you look at like verses uh, eight, eight through 11, um, here you can see a kind of a good tick off list of this. They lived according to the customs, uh, plural, of the nations, plural, that the Lord had removed from them. And they secretly did those things. And then they publicly did those things, like in verse nine and, and verse 10. And, and so I think if I'm looking at verses eight through 11, I see just a habitual affection. Like it's something that they loved, something that their heart longed for. Um, and therefore, and it became, it became something that they did on a regular basis, both in person and in private, uh, both in public and in, and in private. And so therefore, when the Lord uh, finally shows up and, and does what he had promised to do, should they live this way, they, they were blind to it. Um, they rubbed a spiritual stubbornness um, they became indifferent, they became obstinate, and uh, therefore they, they did not see what the Lord promised they would see when it, when it happened. Habitual affection. Yeah, that word obstinate, I think, is significant here. In verse 14, it's pointed out. Verse 14. That, yeah. that word's used. And I, I like that phrase, habitual affection, because that does define obstinate, uh, having that kind of... Uh, of, of uh, uh, I guess divided loyalty. Mm. Uh, yes, and and we see that here. There's a couple places this happens in the whole whole chapter. Verse forty one is the one that kind of like sums it up. It's this uh, how whoever whatever they held onto with regard to the Lord, they blended into and and 
absorbed it into their their affections for other idols. They feared the Lord, but also served their idols. Um, and that's a fascinating and terrifying uh, verse of scripture because it, it it is the opposite of of what you would think fear the Lord means. To fear the Lord is to not serve any other idol. And so the 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 presence of pluralism and the presence of, of relativism that was that was there in, among the people just made the the fact that um, that the Lord held them to account. All just that's why it shocked them. They they blended him into everything else that they were doing, and it and it just surprised them when he called them to account for it. Yeah, we think that's a something new in our culture of a blended religion, but here it was happening uh, for Judah and for Israel, and, and recorded in Second Kings. I mean, that defines a lot of our religious activity in our countries, particularly today. It does. The, the circularity of, of relativism is, is in, the, in the context of all kinds of practices and scientists, but also in religion as well. It, truth has a way of catching up to our relativism. It has a way of catching up yeah. and, it's, and it's going to. Um, and here's a great case in point for, for Israel as well. And it did for them. And, and the advantage for us is we should learn from this reality. Uh, we can see that. Uh, in verse 18, we are told that God became angry. In fact, it says in CSB, it's translated very angry. He wasn't just angry. He was very angry. Mm -hmm. And we talked about that when we were examining session three several weeks ago. But what does God's anger here tell us about his expectations for his people? Yeah, this this is a fascinating um, this is a fascinating passage of scripture. And, and because of the the recollection of the redemption and Exodus, it, it made me think about uh, Exodus um, uh, 34. So if you go back there, right, you have the Lord giving the command to Moses to cut the stone tablets and um, for the second time. And, uh, <clears throat> and uh, so he does, you know, sets the tablets and the Lord, you know, passes in front of Moses and in verse, you know, six through nine, you have, six through seven, you have this really beautiful, um, self-description of the Lord. The Lord describes himself. I'm compassionate and gracious. I'm slow to anger, slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, forgiving rebellion, forgiving sin. I'm not going to leave the guilty unpunished, going back to being slow to anger, I'm going to bring consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and the grandchildren to the third and the fourth generation, but I'm maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations. And so in as much as we, we know in the, in the cross and we know from this passage, like even though to the event we know that God is gracious, he's loving, he's forgiving, he's abounding in faithful love, we know that. We also know that he is holy and righteous and he is not indifferent to, to, uh, to, to sin that affronts, that affronts him and that ultimately we you know, if you're the people of Israel, you're going to experience the consequences of those of those things. And so this anger that we see expressed, I feel like the, the author of Second Kings 17 goes above and beyond to demonstrate just how pervasive and persistent the sin of the people was so that when they experience the uh, the casting out, when they experience uh, uh, the ca captivity, they have they, they can't be surprised. 
it's not inconsistent with the with the with the character of God. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He will bring the consequences of sin to bear. And yet at the very end of, of, of 17 and going on into 18 through the rest of Second Kings, we'll see that God doesn't forget. He brings leaders in, he brings priests in to to teach and, and bring them back around. So all that to say, like we we see the anger manifest itself here. And yet we we also know, and that's not inconsistent with who God is, but also we still see God's faithfulness and love present uh, in this passage. This passage uses the phrase, uh, he removed them from his presence. Uh, some interpreters carry the idea of God turned his back on them, removed them so he couldn't even see them. We know that Israel, the northern kingdom, never returned. Judah returned. This is the end for the northern kingdom. This idea of God turning his back. Is there a time where we might cross that line in our world? You know, we encounter people, or I, I encounter people who say, well, I'm, I'm concerned because I, I committed the unpardonable sin. Uh, is this an example of that? Um, how do we know when we've crossed that line of where God's back is turned and it's he's not turning back to us? Yeah, so I don't I don't think that this passage is is exemplary of God leaving his his covenant promise with his people. Right. So we, we, it's it's an example of them experiencing uh, the consequences of their sin and then God faithfully coming back and keeping a remnant of his own to continue to form his people. And that's. And let's project that forward to the church today. You know, the, the church is God's, it's God's people. And so there are certainly going to be individuals. There are certainly going to be congregations throughout um, all, of, all of history who, um, because of their own indifference, because of their own iniquity, because of their own sin and their own stubbornness and their own obstinance, leave the truth of scripture, leave the Lord, leave the gospel. And, and God may in his sovereignty certainly choose to, to, uh, to not have those those folks be a part of his, to, to give them over, if you will, to use Romans language sure. over to their own desires. And yet always God is going, to, I've, we've read the end of Revelation, right? We know that the church is going to win, that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and he is going to win. And so because of his faithfulness, not necessarily our own, we're, we are not going to be totally forsaken as the people of, of God. Um, so I think that's the strongest takeaway from, from here um, in this regard, with regard to the people of Israel. When we're studying this passage, um, one of the things that strikes me uh, is here in this in chapter 17, uh, our pack item 11 points to this. Uh, pack item 11, by the way, is a listing of the foreign gods, the idols that are named in the book of Kings, in the first and second Kings. Mm -hmm. There are 12 of them listed. Seven of them are listed in this chapter. Uh, seven mm -hmm. of those 12 are noted here, which highlights to me uh, that God has been patient with them. Uh, he's put up with their, their turning their back. It, it wasn't like God turned his back. They turned their back on God. God didn't move. They're the ones that move. And yes. you see that here. He removed them from his presence. He stayed there. <laughs> he was still mm -hmm. present wherever he was. They were the ones that removed, were removed. Those who uh, returned were the ones who we would have to say repented and learned from that discipline and would return uh, to uh, to be a part and be a, in his presence once again. But one of the things in the teaching plans that's in the leader guide and it's in the leader helps in the daily discipleship guide is it encourages us to use pack item 
11, which is the list of the foreign gods. And there's an article, Peck Adam 14, that's entitled The Fall of Israel. And it gives a synopsis of the fall of Israel. And it encourages us to summarize that. Well, one thing I would, I, I plan on doing is I plan on recruiting somebody and providing them with these two documents, with the those two pack items, pack item 11, which are the foreign gods, and pack item 14, the fall of Israel, and allow them to review that and then let them share what they learned from that, any insights they gain. That way it helps us move through that section a little bit quicker. You know, most of us, and we've talked about this with it throughout this podcast, most of us have 45 minutes at the most. Yes. So there's some things we can't do, but this is a way we can do that. It also, uh, I'm going to be strategic in who I ask to do that. I'm going to make sure it's somebody who I'm, I'm, I'm hoping one day will be a teacher. Yes. And I'm going to ask them to do it. And it's a good way to, for them to practice, get used to being in front of people. Train them up. And so, uh, it, yeah. And plus, you know, they've heard all, they, they've heard me enough in my class. It's a good way for me to make that happen. So that's one idea here of how to use those two pack items. Uh, we can just distribute them, let them read them, but that's a lot of content for folks to look through and try to skim. So it's best to, to do that prior uh, and secure somebody like that. Rob, as you look at chapter 17 here, are there any other key thoughts or key ideas that you would share uh, with our listeners today. Yeah, I, I was very much struck by the the sheer pervasiveness of uh, of idolatry and in, in the culture and how easily and quickly the people who had seen the Lord do what he had had done and and had the law, you know, and and had uh, the opportunity to again and again and again to communicate that generation to generation, just how pervasive uh, and how attractive alternatives to the Lord Lord are and uh, our our ability to to absorb that into and assimilate those things into what we may already quote unquote believe uh, verse 41 to fear the Lord but also serve other idols and I think that's a worthy exp uh, exploration in a classroom um, is to consider some of the ways in which we are quote serve fearing the Lord but also serving other idols um, that just really resonated with because that's what this that's what this is a picture of uh this, this whole this whole section verses right. 7 through 20 that's a picture of what it looks like to uh, uh, have that pluralistic view yes i mean you mentioned how, how many were in the pack item it mentioned how many gods you said 11 there's 12 different foreign gods 12, 12 different items. how long is that list today i think that would be a really great exercise oh my. in our cult in our in a class and I will say this, this, some of these are listed in there twice, but by different names. Oh, okay. So like, um, uh, let me find one. Molech is also Moloch. And so, but that's listed as one because they're the same idol. Gotcha. So there's actually multiple names listed, but there's only 12 actual idols that are identified in First and Second Kings. Because even Baal, you've got Baal and Baalim, which are the same thing. It's just different titles for the same same model. Gotcha. But I do think I do think it, it it's important when we're teaching this lesson to note that seven of them are listed in this chapter, which is a they're pointing the writer of, first, of Second Kings is pointing to the fact you know who these are. I didn't have had to tell you, but this is the problem. Um, very very true. They they feared yeah. the Lord, but they also worshipped their own gods according to practices of the nations, verse, verse 33. That's a scary thing. Scary thing. Rob, thank you for being with us today. I appreciate it. 
uh, let me encourage our listeners out there to take a look at the blog posts that are found on goexplorethebible.com forward slash blog. Every Thursday, a new post is added, and these posts will help you get a better understanding of Explore the Bible resources and the ideas behind these resources. Once again, that's goexplorethebible.com forward slash blog. Thank you for listening to us today. We hope you encourage other teachers to tune in next week. We'll be looking at session 12. Bob Bunn will be joining me. We'll be looking at Hezekiah's prayer. And we're going to be focusing on the idea of how God listens to the honest and humble prayers of his followers.